All right, this morning's message is from Luke, the last 24 verses of Luke chapter 1. So open your Bibles to Luke 1. It's entitled Full Term Faith, and we're going to go ahead and read verses 57 through 80. Luke 1 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And John, or Zechariah, asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is God's word. So this is our fourth message in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. In the first message, we we heard, we overheard or or witnessed the appearance of this this angel, Gabriel, to Zechariah as he was serving in the temple and the announcement of the good news that his wife, who was already very old, would have a child, a boy, and he would be a special son and he would prepare the way for Jesus. And then in the second the second Sunday of Advent, we looked at the foretelling of the, the birth of Jesus when the angel, the same angel, came to Mary and said that she would also have a baby and her baby would be the very Messiah, the long-awaited Savior of her people. Last week, we looked at the baby shower. 
when Mary and Elizabeth got together and what happened when the Holy Spirit came on these two women and the words they spoke. And then today, we, we finish up the chapter with this, the birth of John the Baptist, but also what happens to his father. It's sort of the completion of the story that started in that first message. And then tonight, we'll actually look at the first seven verses of chapter two, that very familiar passage, the birth of Jesus. So let's look, let's take a close look at Zechariah's experience, his faith here. Now, right, right out of the gate, we can say this, that it has been a quiet nine months around the house. Amen? There has not been a lot of chit-chat. And we know, we actually know there's evidence that they've been communicating somehow. He must have been writing things down for Elizabeth um, because she's on the same page about what to name their baby. So there has been some communication, but it has been quiet because he cannot speak. It also seems like from verse 62 that, he, that he's been deaf this whole time too because they, they have to make signs to him to communicate with him. So maybe he's been deaf and mute this whole time. Um, but, but he sees his baby. The baby, he, the baby comes and he sees Elizabeth holding their son. What a sight after all these years. Maybe they've been married 50 years at this point, and he sees her holding their baby, and it all comes together in his heart. And it is, it is really a beautiful passage in that way. But what, what happens here in the second half of this, of this text is that this is what Zechariah should have said when God sent Gabriel to announce the gospel to him in the temple. You get that? After nine months, he's ready to say it. It's what he should have said in, on the spot, in the moment when Gabriel told him the good news, you're going to have a son, and this should have come out of him, but it didn't. He hesitated, and now, now he's saying it. God gives him that chance to say it, but it's, like, it's almost like Zechariah's faith, it took these nine months to gestate. Does that make sense? Just like the baby inside of Elizabeth, and you, you might say that Zechariah's faith is now full term, and that's the title of today's message, full term faith. This old priest, we don't know how old he was, but we do know that he was old. He hesitated to believe the gospel when it came to him and and applied to his life, but now he's redeemed. There's redemption in this story, and there's a restoration in this story, and it's beautiful. And just like the other three passages that we've looked at this month in the first chapter of Luke, the Holy Spirit is a central character, maybe the central character in what's happening. It's really interesting. I don't have time to get into it, but if you check your sermon notes, there's a little, there's a, there's a section on the Holy Spirit and his activity in this first chapter of Luke. And it's really beautiful to see him working throughout. He's very quiet. It's very subtle, but he's causing everything that's happening. The Holy Spirit is, is doing it. Okay, so as we jump in, I want to notice three things about this child. First of all, we have the, the name or this passage. Then we have the name of the child. That's first. Then we have the voice of the father. And finally, we have the, the prophecy of forgiveness and peace. Now look at verse 58. After the baby's born, it says, the neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown mercy to Elizabeth and they rejoiced with her and they're happy for her as they should be. But that's not, that's not the whole picture, is it? It's not just that God has blessed this old woman with a son, finally, after all these years of praying. That's not all that's happening. 
In order to understand the full picture of what God's doing, we're actually going to need to hear from Zechariah because he's the one who was in the temple and heard the message. And so we're actually going to need to hear from Zechariah. And so what happens is God brings about, in the customs of of the people at the time, God brings about the opportunity for Zechariah to speak again. And it has to do with the name of the baby. Now, you guys, we name babies. We take it seriously. Um, we are, Dory and I are still doing our best to come up with a, a name after, after three boys and two girls. It's like, it's not like we've used up all the names, but it's like, you know, we're, we're still trying to come up with the right name for our son. In Bible times, it meant even more because the name was, was also not a prediction, but it was, it was like a blessing. If you gave a child a good name, it was, it was a blessing on their life. I suppose that still translates today. But in this day and age, there were strong customs about how baby boys especially were named. Everybody's concerned about this, by the way. Do you see how the entire community is involved? It comes time to to circumcise this baby. And here they come on the eighth day. And it says they would have called him Zechariah after his father because that's what you do. You just name the first boy after the father. That That was the custom. But God had told Zechariah to name this baby something specific. And it was in the it was in verse, let's see, it was in verse 13. It says, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So he's been told that this baby has a name from the beginning, and it's John. And so they they would, the neighbors and the family, they would have just called the baby Zechariah, and that would have been his name. But here's the thing: Zechariah. The name Zechariah means God remembers. It's a good name. It's a good name. Dozens of men in the Old Testament are named Zechariah. I looked at the list and it's just like, there's a ton of minor characters named Zechariah. And there's one prophet who wrote 14 chapters. It's the second to last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah the prophet, including some really important prophecies of things that we're living through. Zechariah was a good name, but that wasn't the name for this baby. The name for this baby was John. And the name John means this. It means the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And so what you need to know about this name is that the name itself is a statement about God. It's a propositional statement. And when you said the name John, you were saying the Lord is gracious. You were testifying to the grace of God. So look what happens here. Elizabeth says, no, no, call him John. Stop calling him Zechariah, call him John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is named John. Why? There's no precedent for this name in your family. And they, they, try to, they want to override Elizabeth because maybe she's not on the same page as her husband. What's going on here? So they go to Zechariah and they say, what do you want to call him? And he gets a writing tablet, okay? When, nowadays, we would just send the text message. This whole experience would be very different with, cell, with smartphones, right? We would just send a text message. He has to write it down. He's carving it in his tablet. His name is John, okay? And do you know what he's saying when he's writing his name is John? He's saying the Lord is gracious, He's saying, this is my baby's name, but he's also saying, this is the character and the nature of my God. My God is gracious. 
That's what he's saying. Now, grace is unmerited or unearned favor. It's the love of God that you don't deserve, but that you get anyways. That's what grace is. And the name John means that loving people, even though we don't deserve it, is part of God's nature. That's what the name means. And that's what Zechariah is saying when he says his name is John. It's the gospel. It's God is gracious. And then it says, and they all wondered. They all wondered. Verse 63, his name is John. They all wondered. There's no John in your family. They wondered because he broke their tradition. He just, I mean, not only can he not speak, he's also maybe going a little bit loopy because why would he name his son John? He went against the custom. In a certain way, he dishonored himself as the father by not naming this child after himself. But here's the point, and this is your first principle in your sermon notes, is that we don't, we don't name our own blessings. You've heard of naming and claiming Christianity? We don't name our own blessings. We simply recognize what God has chosen to give us. And that's what Zechariah does here. He recognizes the baby that God has given him. Now, there's something else going on here, too, and it, and it does have to do with his voice. It's really interesting that Zechariah uses his authority as the father. Now, even though it was strange to everybody, what are you doing? Why are you naming this child John? There's no John. What is John? Why are we using that name? He, he still has the authority to do it because he's the father. And he uses that authority to overthrow the custom of his, of his neighborhood, of his community, his people. But he does it, watch this, he does it to obey the gospel. Now, what does it mean to obey the gospel? Paul calls it, in the book of Romans, he calls it the obedience of faith. And we think about obeying the law, but what does it mean to obey the gospel? Does that make any sense? How do you obey the gospel? Isn't this good news? It's information, right? How do we obey it? Gabriel came to Zechariah in the temple with a message of good news. And if, if Zechariah believed that message, he would give his son the name John. So there was an action that would take place if he believed the gospel. And that's what it means to obey the gospel. That if you believe it, if you believe the message, it will change the way you live. And it changes and it produces these actions, this behavior in John that doesn't make any sense to the people who are watching, but it makes perfect sense if you know what took place between him and the Lord in the temple. There are things in life, and I'm talking about actions, and deeds, behavior, conduct, effort, things in life that you will only be able to do if the gospel is alive in your heart in the moment, if God's grace is real to you, if you're tasting it in your mouth right now, not as a concept, you're not holding it in your mind as a concept, but as a personally experienced reality. There are an entire category of things that you will not be able to do unless the gospel is alive and real in your heart. And that's faith. And that's why Paul calls it the obedience of faith. Obeying the gospel means acting as if what you say you believe is actually real and immediate and true right now. Everything 
Here's the thing about, about acting this way. It is always strange to the people who see it. The people who are looking at Zechariah right here, they say, what? They don't get it. It'll make sense later. But in the moment, this is, this is strange behavior. And anytime you act out of, the, out of real faith in the gospel, it always looks that way. But all of these actions, when you take them, they, they're all sending the same message. God is good. The Lord is gracious. His name is John. Do you see? They all send the same message. When your life is shaped by the gospel, that is the message that your life sends to the people who, who observe you, who see you and know you. And the question, this is so important, and it's right here on the surface of this story. The question is action. It's how you actually live, not just talk. Do you see that? He can't talk yet. He can't talk. He has to act it out. God has removed Zechariah's voice so that he can't just talk about how great the gospel is. Look, that's one of the, that's one of the risks that, that preachers run week after week telling you about the gospel, trying to, trying to bring the gospel to life for you, is that we might just be talking and not acting, not backing it up with our lives and not living it out. God has removed Zechariah's voice in this way so he can't just say what a great thing the gospel is. He actually has to physically demonstrate his faith. And he does it by writing on a tablet, the Lord is gracious. Talk is cheap. And so God will put us in situations where we have to act out our faith in order to know, to see in our own actions what's actually real to our hearts. That's how he made us. You don't have to, I keep telling my kids, you don't, you don't have to tell somebody who's in love to honor the person that they're in love with, to cherish that person, to spend their time and their effort and their money on that person. What our hearts are alive with will naturally bear out in what we do in our lives. And that's happening right here for John. If you ever... If you ever want to check yourself on this point, there's, just ask yourself this question. In this situation, right now, what would I do if I knew without a doubt that God has forgiven and accepted me completely? What would I do? How would that change how I'm living right now. If I could hold my salvation in my hands the way Zechariah is holding his baby son, how would I act right now? Secondly, secondly, in verse 64, as soon as he does it, as soon as he takes the action, as soon as he names his son for God's grace, it says immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loose and he spoke Blessing God. Now, here's what's really interesting. Later on, 30 years down the line, in the Gospel of John, when we're introduced to John the Baptist, this child, 30 years from now, there will be people who ask him, who are you? And he will say to them, I am a voice. He will say, it's in John 1.23, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. So it's ironic 
isn't it? It's ironic that his father's faith and his father's story had so much to do with his voice. With his voice. What happens to his voice? It's taken away. It's restored. Look at what has happened. Look at what has happened in Zechariah's life in nine months. He started out in the temple. He didn't know that day he was going to encounter God. The angel of the Lord came to him and said, your entire life is about to change. I'm going to give your wife a baby. And he's like, I'm already retired. I sleep 10 hours a night. And if I don't, I'm grumpy. And we looked at that four weeks ago. We looked at the way that the gospel comes in it and it turns your life upside down. It doesn't just leave you where you are. That, that happened to Zechariah. And God doesn't just take him back to where he was when Gabriel found him in the temple. He does, just doesn't put him back where he found him. He brings him forward. He brings him onward and upward to real living faith. He gives him a son. He gives him something to say that's deeply moving to those who hear him, his neighbors, his community, the people who know him. He has something to say now that's going to be convincing. It's going to be real. And we'll look at that next. And it's like, I feel comfortable saying that Zechariah has learned more in these nine months of silence than in his entire previous life combined about who God is, about how God works and about what God is doing in the world. Nine months of silence. It's an entire education in the ways of the Lord. God has restored this old priest. It says it right here. Immediately his mouth was open. He has his voice back. Now he has a baby. His family's complete. He's restored this old man. And when God restores things, he doesn't just put them back in their original condition. He makes them better than new. When God restores things, he doesn't just put them back in their original condition. He makes them better than new. Now, when I'm teaching the concept of restoration to kids, I love to use this one picture. Isaiah probably remembers it because he's heard me say it so many times. I always say, what's the difference between an old car and a classic car? What's the difference? (laughs) One of them has been restored and one of them is just old, right? In fact, these days, when they restore cars, they're actually prettier than they were originally, I think. In a lot of cases, they're certainly more expensive and safer. That's what we're talking about. God has restored Zechariah, and that means that that he's better than new. You understand? He doesn't just give him his voice back. He gives him his voice back with extra faith. Gives him his voice back with a baby boy. He gives him his voice back with something to say now that's extremely meaningful. And this this principle of restoration is significant. It's important for each one of us to know too because this is the way that God works when he restores something better than new. And that that includes our bodies, you guys. That means that someday when when this form dies and is put in the ground, The promise is that because Jesus rose from the dead, his people will also rise from the dead. We will have bodies that are better than these bodies. Does that mean anything to you? It means a lot to me the older I get. Yeah, it means a lot. That's right. Classic. 
This, this applies to our relationships too. And this is something you can experience here and now. When God restores a relationship, he makes it better than it ever was. This is something that we should all, as Christians, as believers, we should all be open to restoration with people with whom we've broken relationship in the past because when God patches something up, he makes it stronger than it was before. And finally, the promise is that in Revelation 22, Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new. The promise is that our world, our universe, when it's restored at the end, it will be better, be better than it ever was in ways that we can't imagine. We see that happening. This is the point. We see it happening in Zechariah's life. And it's part of a pattern. This is the way God works. And I want you to see that before we move on. But here's the thing. What is it about all of what has happened to him that makes him capable of opening his mouth and saying these beautiful words that come out of him? What makes, what makes that possible? What has really happened in Zechariah's heart during these nine months? It's this. Before, previously, he believed the gospel in theory but now he believes it because it's actually changed his life. He held it as a theory. It was an idea. He ascribed to it. Now he knows it's true because he's holding that baby in his hands. You see? And this is so important for us because it's so easy to hold the right opinions in your head. But those things need to, need to penetrate all the way to your heart for them to become real and operational in your life. So when we, when we hold the gospel in our minds as an idea, we may admire it like he did, but it doesn't change us. It doesn't make demands on our lives. It doesn't concern us personally when we're holding the gospel as just an ideal or a concept. But when God comes and begins to apply the gospel to our lives Guess what? It's intrusive. It turns things upside down. It won't leave us alone. It won't leave us where we were. It upsets the status quo. But it's like the gospel, and, I, and I've lived this. I know what this is like. It's like the gospel is inside a glass case inside of my head, and now it's loose in my heart. And there's a big difference between just knowing about Jesus and experiencing him for yourself. That's what's happening to this man. So he's acted out his faith. The Lord is gracious and his voice returns and the spirit fills him and he begins to speak of the gospel as something that he knows something about because he's personally experienced it. And he can talk about it in the first person because he knows he knows what he's talking about now. You see, God didn't put these words in his mouth nine months ago because they weren't real to his heart yet. Now they're real and he says them because he has a testimony now. He has a real testimony to give because he's been through something real with the Lord. And when Zechariah speaks, even for us, just reading his story, when Zechariah speaks, his words mean so much more to us now, knowing that God has tested him. Has anyone ever heard this saying? It's a cute little saying. Preach the gospel, use words if necessary. 
Have you ever heard that before? It's, uh, you see it on bumper stickers, and I have mixed emotions about it. I'm ambivalent about it because here's why. It's true. Your life should preach the gospel. But it's also a false dichotomy because I'm up here saying it to you. This is necessary. You need to hear it as well. You need to say it. You also need to live it. They're not opposed. It's not like your, your life preaching the gospel and your words preaching the gospel are doing two different things. They should be doing the same thing. But here's the deal. Both are necessary. The words don't mean very much until your life will actually support them, though. And in that sense, it's true. Do you see it? That saying, I feel like that saying is worth writing in your margin next to this story because of the way that, that Zechariah preaches the gospel without even being able to talk. That's the key. Now, though, he is able to talk. And this brings us to our third point, which is his prophecy. And this is verses 68 through 79. I don't have much time to get too deep into this, into this prophecy. We'll just say a few things about it. I'll just, I'll just tell you that it's, not, it's nothing but this, this straight up gospel. That's what it is. He talks about the horn of salvation that God has raised up for us in the house of his servant, David. It's Jesus. Jesus isn't even born yet. If you recall from last week, Mary is six months behind Elizabeth. Jesus hasn't been born yet. He's, he's, she's in her second trimester, and Zechariah is saying that he's a horn that, that the Lord has raised up from the house of David. And he goes on to talk about the forgiveness of sins and the, and the knowledge of salvation that the people will have. This is the gospel. Now, this prophecy, it's two long sentences, okay? So if you ever feel like I'm just not shutting up, just remember how long of a run-on sentence prophets were allowed to use, okay? Two sentences. The first sentence is, is about God keeping his promises. Notice that he doesn't talk about his son first. He talks about Jesus first. And then in verse 76, and he, he turns to the baby and he says, and you, child. This is the story that God is telling. And you, child, this is your part in it. And then he talks about, in the second sentence from 76 to 79, that's about the baby, John, who's called to prepare the people for salvation. Now watch, notice one thing with me, okay? Notice how publicly all of this took place. It says that, that first of all, we have the naming, the, the, the neighbors and the relatives are somehow involved in the naming and then in circumcision. Everything here is like last week, that just took place between two women behind closed doors. This is happening in, in full view of the neighborhood, okay? All of, the, all of these things, the people are watching it's all happening very publicly. And then it says in verse 65, we're told the effects that all of these things have on the community, on the people who know Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says, fear came on all their neighbors because of these events, because he's acting strangely and because now he's saying these amazing power. This is not what they expected to hear when he started talking again. And it says, and they wondered, Think about, think about what the community knew of this old priest. They knew this guy. It's a small town. They knew, they knew Zechariah. Think about what they knew about him. He lost his voice 
He lost his voice for nine months after something traumatic happened to him in the temple. He was down in Jerusalem doing his duty. Something bad happened and he lost his voice. God took his voice away. They knew that. They knew that God did it. God took his voice away because it happened in the temple. That's where God does things. God took his voice away. And so the only, the only words he communicated to anybody while he was without his voice were these. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. It was naming his son. It was the only thing that he communicated the entire time he was quiet. The Lord is gracious. And as soon as he wrote that message, his voice was restored. That's what they saw. That's what they knew. Wouldn't you want to know what else a man like that had to say? Wouldn't you want to know? I would. Here's the point. Nobody cares about your, your theological opinions or your philosophy of life when things are easy and life is good. Nobody cares, not even if you're a pastor. What we want to know is, do you have something real? Do you have something that you can live on? Do you have something that helps you sleep at night? When you lose your job or you get that grim diagnosis from the doctor. When people gossip about you, how do you hold up? Can you suffer loss and still say God is good? And if so, how? What is that resource? How are you still standing? There may be times in life, there probably will be times in life when it's all you can do to whisper God is good. To write it down. God is good. But that's enough. There's power in that testimony. And by naming his son John instead of Zechariah, this old man pointed away from himself and toward the grace of God. And everyone was listening when he preached the gospel. Do you see it? That's how it's done. Now, here's the last thing I want to say about this. It's the big picture. It's the big picture of what God was up to in this period of history. Zechariah's silence, it was a sign. It was not just between him and God. We've looked at how much it meant to him. But it was also a sign to the nation, to the people of Israel, that helped them, if they were paying attention, that would help them make sense of God's own silence. You may remember that at this point, God has been quiet for 400 years. Do you remember that? In the story of Israel, the prophet Malachi was the final prophet. God had not given any other prophetic words for 400 years since Malachi. He was giving them the silent treatment. And now we have this old man going silent. And then when his mouth is open, he prophesies. Zechariah's prophecy right here, it's the first legitimate prophetic word from the Lord in 400 years. And that means something. Wouldn't you agree? Do you know what a pregnant silence is? Have you ever heard that term? Ever heard that? It's a pause or, a, or silence that's full of meaning 
an emotion. Like this. Is that long enough? You guys feel it? There's almost an ache to hear something, right? Keep talking. Why are you doing this to us? Imagine, imagine if God did that to you. Imagine if God did that to your people for 400 years. Entire generations came and went without a word from the Lord. In Malachi 4, 6, this is, this is literally the last verse of the Old Testament. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And then he goes silent. And the next time there's a prophecy, it comes from this man, this old man, a brand new father holding his baby, who is the promised Elijah. And he says, after a long period of silence, it's time. You're all about to see the grace of God. Let's pray.